Father, we pray that you would help us to clearly see the Lord Jesus in all his glory. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. One of your friends has just started dating their new boyfriend or their new girlfriend and then you're introduced to them. Later on, or maybe the next time that you meet your friend, you know what they're going to ask you. Well, what do you think of him? Or maybe it's your child bringing home their a new boyfriend or girlfriend for the first time and they have that interrogation and then later on they want to know what do you think of them. Or uh, something newsworthy happens and the, the, the TV cameras roll into town asking people what do you think about what has just happened? Or at the rugby last night the chat was all about asking what do you think of such and such a player? It happens so often that we're probably not even aware that we're doing it half the time. But all the time we are forming opinions about other people. Every time we meet someone or see someone or hear about someone, we're revising our thoughts about what we think of them. Whether for good or for ill. And that's also true of our opinion about Jesus. Every time we open uh, our Bibles or not, uh, every time we come to church and hear another little bit from Mark's gospel, uh, we are forming and reforming our opinion of who Jesus is. What we think of Jesus. In this morning's reading, we get to hear some people's opinions about Jesus. And these opinions might be influential as you make up your own mind about him. Because in this morning's reading, we hear the verdict of Jesus' family, those who have known him the longest and the closest. And we also hear the verdict of some religious leaders from Jerusalem, the centre of the Jewish religious system. But what do you think about Jesus? That's what matters. That's what we're here for. Now to help you narrow down what you think about Jesus, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, and many other books, he narrows down the options. He says that there are only three possible opinions that you can have about Jesus. He says Jesus is either mad or bad or God. Everything boils down to that. Those are your options. And it just so happens that we find the first two of those options in our Bible reading today. So perhaps you'd open the Bible in front of you to page 1005. 
And as we dive into the passage this morning, keep asking yourself, which of these represents my view of Jesus? What do I think about Jesus? As the reading opens there in verse 20, we're in familiar territory in Mark's gospel. None of this should come as a surprise to us. Jesus has entered a house and again a crowd has gathered. Mark keeps talking about the crowds following Jesus, coming to hear him teach, coming to be healed, coming to see who Jesus is. But this time, the crowd is so great that Jesus and the disciples aren't even able to eat. There are so many people with so many demands that Jesus isn't even able to get a bite to eat. He's so busy that he's in danger of overdoing things. But there's an intervention on its way. Look at verse 21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. So that's the family opinion. They've heard how Jesus is getting on. He's overwhelmed, but he still keeps helping other people. And so the family decide that they have to intervene. They're coming to take charge of him. And do you see how it fits into what C.S. Lewis said? His categories. The family say he is out of his mind. He must be mad. Now later on we'll see what happens when they arrive. But while they're still on the way to take charge of him, Mark tells us about another opinion about Jesus. And this one seems to be important. Verse 22, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So these are religious leaders who have travelled down to Galilee, to the to the sticks from headquarters in Jerusalem. They must have heard something about Jesus and they've come to see for themselves. They've come to investigate all that's happening, to formulate an official viewpoint. And their official report, you find it there in verse 22, he is possessed by Beelzebub. He's empowered by the devil, the prince of demons, to drive out demons. We get another summary of what they're saying in verse 30, at the end of that little section. And it says he has an evil spirit. So Jesus' family think that Jesus is mad. The religious leaders think that Jesus is bad that he's working on the devil's team as he drives out demons or evil spirits. So what do you think? Is Jesus mad? 
Is he bad? Or could he be God? Well, to help us decide, it's, it's important to not just listen to what other people were saying about Jesus, but to listen to what Jesus says about himself. And so from verse 23, we see how Jesus answers their accusation. It says, so Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. He's replying to the teachers of the law and he shows them just how absurd their accusation really is. First of all, from the middle of verse 23, it says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. Now, very conveniently, both the Labour Party and the Conservative Party have provided examples of this truth in this past week. wonder, did you see the, uh, the selfies that were taken uh, in the Houses of Parliament? Uh, because there were divisions in each of the parties over Brexit and lots of other things as well. And so the moment came when the eight Labour MPs and three Conservative MPs, they left their parties to form the independent group. Now, whether they'll be able to stand together or not, we'll, we'll see. That time will tell when the election comes round. But the principle is clear. Division and disunity leads to disaster. So if Satan is divided against himself, and if Jesus is driving out demons by the power of the demons, then Satan is finished. So that's ridiculous to think that Jesus is bad, that he's possessed by Beelzebub or an evil spirit. So what's going on? How is Jesus able to drive out these demons? Why is he doing it? Well, Jesus continues, verse 27. He says, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions Unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. Jesus is speaking in parables, verse 23 told us that. And when you look closely at this parable, you find that Jesus portrays himself in a way that you probably wouldn't expect. So in, in the story, there's a strong man who lives in his house with all his possessions. And the question is, how can someone carry off all his possessions, the strong man's possessions? Jesus says you would have to tie up the strong man first of all. You'd need to be stronger than him. And then you'd be able to rob his house. So where's Jesus in that parable? Which of the characters is Jesus? Jesus is not the strong man. Jesus is the stronger man who robs the strong man's house. You see, in, in this parable, the strong man is the devil. 
He's secure in his house. He has all that he possesses. But Jesus has come into the world to rescue people from demons and evil spirits and from sin. Jesus can only do that because he is stronger than the strong man. He has tied up Satan and is free to rescue people from his hands and from his possession. See, don't fall for the idea that in the, in the cosmos, in the universe, uh, we're in this never-ending struggle that you know, God on one side and the devil on the other side, they are equal and opposite forces. Don't fall for that idea. The devil is powerful, yes, but God is more powerful. Jesus is proving his power over the devil. Satan isn't divided. Jesus has come to oppose him, to overpower him, to bring about freedom and to bring about good. So he isn't bad as the religious leaders thought. He is good, but more than that, he is God. And we see that in how he speaks in verses 28 and 29. He says that there is forgiveness available for all the sins and blasphemies of men. Because Jesus himself is the guarantee of that forgiveness. Because he is on his way to the cross to die to make that forgiveness possible. But there is one sin that is an eternal sin. For which there is no forgiveness. Some theologians and some churches talk about mortal sins and venial sins. Some that are important and some that aren't just as important. But the truth is that all sins are mortal. All sin, any sin deserves the penalty of death. But Jesus describes only one sin as an eternal sin for which there is no forgiveness. And it's this one, verse 29. Look at it with me. It says, Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. So what is this unforgivable sin? It's to describe the work of the Holy Spirit as the work of a demon. It's to call evil what is manifestly good. It is to deny that God is God. And verse 30 helps us to see that. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. They were looking at all that that Jesus was doing empowered by the Holy Spirit and they thought he had an evil spirit instead. Jesus is not bad. To think that would be dangerous. But is Jesus mad? That's what his family thought 
And by verse 31, they have arrived to take Jesus home, away from the crowds, away from everybody, for some peace and quiet and less of this nonsense. So they send word inside the house to call him. Now, perhaps Jesus' response would have confirmed their suspicions that he was mad. It certainly would have been hurtful, maybe even painful for them to hear. But the message comes into the house there in verse 32. Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus came to rescue us from the hands of Satan. And when he does so, he then forms us into his new family. A family not based on blood relations, but based on being brothers and sisters of Jesus. Children of the one heavenly father. And the family likeness is seen there. It's obedience to God. Whoever does God's will is part of the family. Just think for a moment how hard that would have been for Mary to hear those words that day when the message came back out to them. She had borne him. She had raised him. She had known him for the longest. It sounds as if Jesus really has gone mad because family ties were even stronger in those days than our family ties are these days. But Jesus is focusing on the priority of God's family. Even today, if a Muslim becomes a Christian, then their family will hold a funeral for them because they are dead to them. But what does that believer have? A new family. Brothers and sisters, you and me. Because they're part of the family of Jesus. But Mark 3 is not the end of the story. If we fast forward from that day and we discover that eventually Mary and some of Jesus' brothers became his brothers in the family of God. So in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples are gathered in the upper room, they're waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mary is there with them. Or James becomes one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He writes one of the New Testament letters describing himself only as a servant of Jesus. Jude, who writes another of the New Testament letters, describes himself as a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. What would it take 
for you to recognise that your brother or sister was God. Take some convincing, wouldn't it? But that's exactly what James and Jude and Mary also came to understand through the cross and the resurrection. And you can also be a brother or sister of Jesus. It depends on coming to a right verdict on who he is. Not mad, not bad, but God, who came to rescue us from the strong man Satan. God who came to give his life to secure the forgiveness of our sins. God who came to welcome us into his family by giving us the Holy Spirit to help us to do the will of God. So who is Jesus? Mad, bad, or God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus came into the world to overthrow and destroy the works of the devil. We thank you that he came to bring forgiveness of sins. And we thank you that he came to welcome us into your family. We pray, Father, that you would help us to see Jesus clearly. That you would bring us to bow before him as our God, our Saviour, our friend. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.